Father, we come again to rejoice in you. We come again to declare your goodness. We come again to hear your word. We come again to have your word change us. We come again to have your word send us out and have us serve in our community. So speak to us, Lord. Change us in these moments. Call us more deeply into a relationship with you. And then send us out to call others into that relationship. We ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Continuing in the Gospel of John, uh, we're looking at John chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. As he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. We live in a remarkable time uh, when it comes to health care. Yes, I know there are problems with our health care system. I know that it costs way too much. I know that our health insurance costs a lot more than we can afford at times. But the sophisticated and highly technical procedures and health care available to us today is simply incredible. I marvel at what doctors and nurses and others can do for us. And I'm grateful to live in such a time as this. But despite tremendous advancement, sickness is still universal. And so is death. We'll come back to this in a moment, but the Bible tells us that sickness and death are consequences of the fall of humankind. When our first parents sinned, it marred God's perfect creation. And ever since then, everyone must eventually face sickness and indeed death. Reminding us that we're all but dust, and to dust we shall return. Today we see Jesus' response to one man who was sick. It was a man born blind. Verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, blindness was all too common in the ancient world. But this is the only time in the Gospels that we're specifically told that an individual was born blind. And this fact leads the disciples to ask, verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind? 
Their question assumed the Jewish belief of the day that a person's physical suffering was directly related uh, to their sin, to what they had done. Therefore, the disciples saw only two options. Either this man had sinned or his parents had sinned. But Jesus said, verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And first we might note that this man, having been born blind, could not be responsible for his condition. He was born blind. Uh, Unless he sinned in the womb, and some believe that was possible, but he could not be responsible for his condition. Uh, Second, if it was the parent's sin, it hardly seems fair that their child would be punished. But those two things said, I must add very quickly, suffering in general is ultimately a result of sin in general. As I said earlier, ever since the fall of humankind, sickness and suffering has entered into the world. Further, there are specific illnesses which are a result of sin. If we abuse alcohol or drugs, or if we even abuse food, we're going to suffer the consequences. Further, remember when Paul rebuked the Corinthians for abusing the Lord's Supper, he told them, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine and 30, that their partaking in an unworthy manner was the reason many were weak and ill, and some had even died. So sometimes there are direct connections to sin, but not always. And ultimately, only Jesus knows. I think part of what Jesus taught the disciples here and what he's teaching us here is don't be so quick, folks, to judge cause and effect. Don't assume someone's sin caused their illness. Yes, sometimes sin is, is, sickness is related to sin. And in those cases, it calls for repentance. But there are many reasons for sickness. Uh, many years ago, I, I did a sermon series that was 30 reasons, biblical reasons for sickness. We shouldn't be so quick to assume and judge that we understand the reasons for someone's illness. That it, we're, Sometimes we're quick to say it, it might be their sin. And we shouldn't do that. So what about the disciples' second assumption? That that it must have been the parents' sin. Well, sadly, there are children who suffer illnesses due to their parents' sin. Uh, Again, if a mother, while she's expecting, uh, abuses alcohol or drugs or, or a host of things, then it obviously it negatively affects the child. But the disciples may have been thinking uh, about Old Testament passages like Exodus 20, which says regarding idol worship, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. 
But such a passage is best understood in a general, national, societal sense. The sins of past generations do seep into future generations. And they cause problems for generations to come. But the idea that a child receives direct punishment for the parent's sin is rejected by the Old Testament. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 24, 16. It's talking about capital punishment here. And it says, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Likewise, in Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. And in the case of the man born blind, Jesus directly rejected the notion that blindness was caused by either the man's sin or the parent's sin. He rejected that notion. So I think one lesson for us today is to not be so quick to judge. I think in our efforts to understand and explain everything, sometimes we're awfully quick to seek someone to blame. It it had to be their fault. Or or it must have been something their parents did. Or, Or worse yet, we seek to blame God. Sometimes the, the person is at fault. Sometimes the parents must share some of the blame. But it seems to me that a very critical spirit has arisen in our day. I know Jesus warned me as I studied this text, Danny, don't be so quick to assume. Don't be so quick to judge. Don't be so quick to comment on that Facebook post. In the case of the man born blind, Jesus was clear that no one had sinned. No one was to blame. Back to verse 3, it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I do not believe God deliberately caused the child to be born blind, but when the child became a man, God did sovereignly choose to use this man's affliction for God's own glory. God was at work here. God was restoring physical sight, but he was also restoring spiritual sight. God was at work saving lives here. And thus, having addressed the disciples' misunderstanding, Jesus then turns to remind his disciples and us that we too must be at work. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. You see, the disciples' focus was backwards, but Jesus was focusing forwards. They were analyzing how this man became blind. Who can we blame? But Jesus was about to put God's work on display in this man's life. There was nothing wrong with their questions. There's nothing wrong with being discerning in some situations, but they failed to see this man the way Jesus saw 
this man. This was a man sovereignly chosen for the work Jesus had come to do. This was a man Jesus came to save. This was not a time for speculation, but a time for work. Jesus was committed to do the works of God throughout his ministry. Remember when he was just a boy and he got separated from his parents? And when they found him in the temple, he said, Luke 2, 49, Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? As if to say, did you not know I, I was doing the work of my father? On another occasion, Jesus had been ministering in Capernaum, and the people wanted him to stay there. But he said, Luke 4, 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. You see, Jesus was compelled to do the work of God. Why? Well, the answers are in our text. Uh, the reasons are in our text, and they're also reasons for us. The first reason I would point out in our text is Jesus was compelled to work because he was compelled and committed to do God's will. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me. Jesus was compelled to work because he was obedient to the will of God. He was committed to do the works of him who sent him. So a question for us this morning is, are we committed? Are we committed, beloved, to the will of God? Second, Jesus was compelled to work because he saw the needs of people. <clears throat> Go back to verse 1. Jesus was just passing by. He was just passing by, and he saw the man born blind. It's hard to tell how many hours, how many days, how many weeks and years that man had stood there or sat there begging, because that's all a man born blind could possibly do. Who knows how many people had passed him by through the years? But Jesus saw him. Jesus saw his needs. And he didn't just see the need and talk about the need, and he surely didn't form a committee to take care of the need. Jesus had a third reason he was compelled to work, to do something about the need. He loved people. He had compassion on people. He wasn't distracted. He said, disciples, basically, I'm not going to go there whether this man or, or his parents sin. And the fact of the matter is they all have sin. But I love them anyway. I love them anyway. Those two reasons Jesus worked, seeing the needs of people and loving them, are very convicting, aren't they? I mean, I can't help, help but ask how many times have I not even seen another person's needs? How many times have I just passed on by? And if I did see them, did I, did I stop? Did I do something about it? Do I see people and love them? 
Do I look around at my community and see everyone as someone Jesus died for? Many of you know our story and, and uh, the story of our son-in-law having uh, trouble with addiction. And I've told some of you for a long time, I, I looked at him with, with a strong bitterness in my heart because of what he had done to my daughter. It's natural. But there was a day in which the Lord just clearly said to me, Danny, I died for him too. His sin's no worse than your sin. Stop it. Love him. See him. Be a part of helping him be restored and, and meet those needs. My son-in-law is now serving a church. I don't know that I had anything to do with it. The Lord cleaned him up. But, but we're quick to judge and not see the need. Jesus was also compelled to work because his time on earth was limited. Verse 4 again, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. The phrase while it is day before it's night because night is coming conveys a sense of urgency. Night was coming for Jesus. The crucifixion was imminent. It was less than six months away. So he must work while he's physically present. Night is coming for all of us. We only have a certain amount of days to serve the Lord. The Puritan preacher Richard Baxter once said, and I'm paraphrasing his old English here, I preach as though I might never preach again. And I preach as a dying man to dying people. That should be the standard for all of us. Sunday school teachers and youth leaders, you only have those children for a short time. For just a short window. Parents, you only have a short time to train up your child in the ways of the Lord. All of us, we only have a brief life to share our faith with those around us. You see, Jesus said in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus did his work, and he could declare from the cross, it is finished. And now he has us to reflect his light and to do his work. We only have this life to do so. <clears throat> A number of our elders are quite familiar with Tom Rainer's book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And we studied that a few years ago, and uh, he and his son, Sam Rayner, continue to encourage and equip churches through ministry, a ministry called Church Answers. And I regularly receive a blog from Sam Rayner, and it was interesting that the one I received this week was a reminder that the events of the past few years have put churches and pastors in survival mode. I've certainly been guilty of that myself. But in this blog, Sam suggested 
that it was time for us, church, to not merely survive, but to thrive. It's time, church, to not merely survive, but to thrive. It's time to do the work of Jesus. And I want to just real quickly say some practical ways we can do that, some ways that Sam actually suggested in his blog. Number one is focus on our mission. Keep focused on our mission. Our mission is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. We need to focus on that mission so much that the people out there go, you know, I don't know who, what a Presbyterian is. I don't even know how to spell Presbyterian. But I know something about those Presbyterians up at Stewart Presbyterian. They, they want to know Jesus Christ, and they want to make him known. We need to stay focused there, folks. Then we need to be devoted to the mission of the present rather than the nostalgia of the past. The good old days aren't coming back. And besides, they probably weren't all that good anyway. We need to focus on the present. We're called for this day and for this time. Related to church doing the work of Jesus is going to be more concerned about community than our traditions. Traditions are great. They have their place. But we're called to love our community, and if the traditional ways we're doing it aren't working, we need to find new ways. And in a church doing the work of Jesus, older generations willingly give up their preferences to reach the younger generation. But, for all you people my age and older, start throwing stuff at me. But at the same time, younger generations willingly learn from older generations. People of my generation and older, I know we're set in our ways. But the burden is on us to be mature enough to make the necessary changes to reach younger people. And you're already doing that. We've got to keep doing that. And younger people, we're not just old fogies. We still have a thing or two left to teach you. It, it's a combination. And ultimately, a church working for Jesus is going to value sacrifice more than comfort. It's time to stop asking, what has the church and Jesus done for me lately? And start asking, what am I going to do for Jesus in the church? I was so convicted at our presbytery meeting, and I can't tell you the names, but we had a missionary there. And she's in a, a predominantly uh, Muslim territory. And she told a story about a, a women's retreat. And there was a woman there at that retreat who, when she became a Christian, her husband beat her. Her mother-in-law and her father-in-law beat her. When they heard that she wanted to go to this retreat for women, they locked her behind closed doors. But this woman escaped. And she found a way to that retreat because she needed community with other believers. And she knew what was going to face her when she went back home. What a sacrifice. It just blew me away at how I seek after comfort too much. Are we willingly 
sacrificing to do the work of Jesus. I can't speak for you, but this text has trampled all over my toes. And these blind eyes can now see because Jesus has told us the truth. I have no excuse. The question is, is now what am I going to do about it? Now what are you going to do about it? It's not a time to speculate. It's not a time to dwell in the past. It's a time, beloved, to work. This is not a time to blame or judge but to see and love people as Jesus loved them. We only have this one life. Let us do the works of the Lord while it is day, for night is coming. Let's pray to God. Lord, we have work to do. This text is so convicting. And sometimes we we don't know where to start. Maybe just start in us today by by helping us see our family. Help us to see the people we share our home with more fully. To see their needs and to love them with a greater compassion. Maybe there's a neighbor we haven't thought about for weeks or months. Maybe there's a coworker that we know is struggling, but we hate to open that door. Help us open that door to see them, to see their needs, to care, to sacrifice. Lord, I confess that too often my own agenda and keeping my own agenda is my biggest sin. Lord, help us to stop and to see the needs of others. Help us to not be so insistent on our preferences and call us to what is best for our whole church. Keep us from living in the past. Keep us focused on the mission you've called us for today. Keep us focused in knowing you and making you known. Again, move us out of our lives of comfort into lives of sacrifice. Empower us, exhort us by your Holy Spirit so that we might do the work you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that we might be your humble servants this day and all our days. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory, praise, and honor today and forevermore. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you, today and forevermore. Amen.